I got to hurry tonight. I'm on a mission to get out of here on time or earlier. It's the chapels last night, and my wife's making me hang out with them. So uh, I would like to thank the chapels for ruining my Sunday night. So glad you came to visit. Amen. We love you. We miss you. Thanks for playing the piano tonight. And um, pray that they'll come back. Whether they like it or not, pray that they come back. Amen. All right. Please join me in Acts chapter 1 tonight as we are now doing a series through the book of Acts on Sunday nights. And I'm really looking forward to this study because I want us to see these early churches in action. They saw the gospel spread rapidly in an environment which was godless, under a government which hated them. And as we study what a living church looks like, I pray that we will become burdened to be more like the book of Acts. We don't need new ways. We just need to go back to God's ways. People didn't know what the church was in their day. As the gospel spread, the church was new. People didn't know what it meant. And we now live in a day when multitudes of people in our nation don't know what church is. When the word church is mentioned today, all kinds of thoughts enter someone's mind. There are images of religious orthodoxy. Maybe scenes of the Catholic church come to mind. There are thoughts of the secrecy known to exist within the Mormon tabernacle and the Jehovah's Witnesses' kingdom halls. And overall, I think you would agree there is a general mistrust of churches today in America. And it's because many can give you an account of how they or someone they know had been mistreated in church. Some issues, maybe they should have got over others, very serious issues. Sadly, there have been many documented cases of leaders abusing their office from their own personal agendas. There are financial mishandlings, sexual sins, cult followings, and all the rest. As a result of the corruption found within churches and so-called churches, many have never even attended a church service today of any kind. In many cases, churches have become political entities, champions of social issues, and they've lost their way so that they no longer even resemble what a church is supposed to look like. Many churches just really need to get out of their own way. Get rid of all the peripheral, all the meaningless programs, and return to the basics as found in the book of Acts. Many are simply guilty of snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. We are victorious, amen. amen. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So what's our problem? We're not a book of Acts church. I'm talking the landscape of America. As far as Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is concerned, we need to understand who we are, what we are supposed to be, why we are here, what we are to be accomplishing. And we're going to see that through this series in the book of Acts. Look with me in chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 11. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. 
to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go up into heaven. Amen. Last Sunday night, Brother Ching was here. But you'll recall two weeks ago, I introduced this book. I gave a simple charge from verse 1. That was our need to be discipling others. Luke, who pens the book of Acts and also the Gospel of Luke, he writes both of these books to this man, Theophilus, because he wanted to see him rooted and grounded in the faith. And in short, we just need to put forth the same effort. Amen? we got to do what it takes. We've got to work to disciple people. We need to take the time to invest in others. Now, we see in verse 3 how Jesus showed Himself alive after His passion. Today, that word passion is commonly used differently than it is here. Here, this word passion means His suffering. His passion refers to the very painful experience of dying for the sins of mankind upon the cross. And because the resurrection is absolutely critical to our faith, Luke brings attention to the fact that Jesus died, but that He showed Himself alive by many infallible proofs. And Jesus was not only seen 40 days after His resurrection, but He was also during that time teaching His followers. He was teaching them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we also know how He expounded unto them the Scriptures. He said over there in Luke 24, He took them through Moses, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and He expounded unto them all the things concerning Himself. We have seen recently in our series through John how Jesus appeared on three occasions. But there were other times as well that Jesus was appearing to His followers that aren't all recorded. This appearing of Jesus, if it was in a court of law with the amount of witnesses that testify, it would be undisputable that Jesus raised again was raised again from the dead. Outside of the Gospel account, Paul records this in 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7. And that He was seen of Cephas, that's speaking of Peter, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of all the apostles." That's a lot of people that saw the risen Lord. Amen. It's 
it would be undeniable in court is what I'm saying. And because we have just recently covered the details surrounding Jesus' resurrection on Sunday morning, I'm not going to dwell there, but I just want to say this, that we understand if Jesus didn't resurrect, then our preaching's in vain tonight. Our meeting together is in vain. All that we do is for no reason whatsoever. We are found false witnesses, Paul said, and we would still be in our sins if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus rose again. So we thank God for the resurrection, of course. We see in verse 4, moving on, that during those 40 days, there were times when Jesus was assembled with them. Can I just make the obvious application here? But that's what makes church, church. When Jesus is assembled with us. Whoop! What separates true churches from false churches? It's whether or not Jesus is present. If Jesus isn't around then it's nothing more than a social gathering with the name church on the sign. Psalm 22 is prophetic of Christ. It speaks of His crucifixion and then His glory afterwards. Psalm 22, 22 says this, I will declare Thy name unto my brethren. This is speaking of Christ now. Get this. Jesus is saying, I will declare Thy name, God, unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise Thee. It was foretold that Jesus would declare the name of God, the praise of God, unto His brethren in the midst of the congregation. And when you go to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews takes Psalm 22.22, quotes it in Hebrews 2.12, but he makes one small change. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Pretty much synonymous, congregation and church, we understand that. And so listen, I hope you understand churches who are genuinely trying to walk with God will have Jesus when they are assembled together in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Lord will be joining our service. Don't let this spook you. But the Lord will be joining our service, singing praise to God and declaring God's goodness to the brethren. What a thought. What a thought. People say, I don't really need church. Well, that's interesting because Jesus assembled with them. Jesus said, look, I'm going to be praising God in the midst of the church. I don't really need church. Well, then you don't really understand the Bible. Do you understand the importance we ought to be placing upon the right kind of music in church? Don't worry, I'm not going there, amen? Everybody just, you know, we're cool. We need to be a church where Jesus is welcomed, where the presence of the Holy Spirit is evidenced in our midst. This is what makes a real church. We never want to be guilty of being the Laodicean church in Revelation 3. Where we find Jesus standing on the outside of the church knocking to come in. We must always desire the presence of God in our assembly We must keep the door open for Him. And if we do, this is what Jesus said, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. (laughs) What a blessing. Moving on in verse 4, we see that this particular assembly to which Luke refers, Jesus commanded His followers that they should not depart Jerusalem, but that they should wait for the promise of the Father. And that's something that Jesus had previously spoken unto them. This is how Luke's gospel begins to end, the gospel according to Luke. And behold, this is Luke 24, 49. 
And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus had mentioned several times how the Holy Ghost would be given unto them. In fact, He mentioned how it was necessary that He would have to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Now, this is where it gets interesting in my opinion as we start to study a little bit tonight here. Remember in our series through John, we just saw in chapter 20 that Christ appeared to His disciples on the evening of His resurrection as they were gathered together in fear. And after He told them, as My Father sent Me, even so send I you. Remember what Jesus did? He breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Well, that's interesting. What gives here? Why now are we reading that they're going to have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Did they receive the Holy Ghost twice? Well, what I'm about to say, some may disagree with, and that's okay. We're still friends. Well, I, I'll do my part to be a friend. <laughs> well, it's going over good, should. But I do feel I'm grounded scripturally in my position. And this is an important debate tonight for the, what I'm going to give you here in these next few minutes. This is important because of how the charismatics have twisted the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. Here in Acts, they did not need to receive the Holy Ghost in that He didn't already indwell them. I just cited how Jesus had breathed on them in John chapter 20, the day of His resurrection, they received the Holy Ghost. So what did they need? Well, look at verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You see, what they needed was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. While I believe we receive all of the Holy Ghost in salvation, this is just my personal opinion, I believe the Bible makes a distinction between being indwelt by the Holy Ghost and being baptized with the Holy Ghost. I believe when we're saved, we are both indwelt and baptized with the Holy Ghost. Do you remember after you got saved how excited you were? Do you remember how you actually were telling people about Christ? Remember how you couldn't get enough of God? Why? Because in Christ you became a new creature. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things became new. There was a change in your life. God took up residence in you. You had now become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And being a clean slate, that's all you had. You had that working in you in all of its fullness and you were so excited about being saved and being in God. But what happened? It didn't take long to wear off, did it? Come on now. Talk to me. It didn't take long to wear off. Because as we learn from Ephesians 4.30, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. As we learn from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we can quench the Spirit. You see, we were still indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit's influence in our life was being diminished by sin. In salvation, God moves in as the Holy Ghost. 
And praise God, he can never be evicted. Whoop. We are bought with a price and our body becomes the temple of the living God. We are sealed until the day of redemption, until we are in God's presence. We are eternally secure. Our standing with God is settled and we cannot lose our salvation. However, since we can grieve and quench the Spirit, then we can obviously lessen the Spirit's influence in our life. That must be the case. We can choose whether we will live in the Spirit or whether we're going to live after the flesh. It's our decision to make. God's given us a free will. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So as we live our Christian life, we find there's a battle taking place within all of us. We find there are times we don't do the things we know we should do. This is something that the Apostle Paul clearly lays out over in Romans 7. When I would want to do good, I find there's evil present within me. And he makes that case absolutely clear over there. And so do we want to be led of the Spirit or do we want to give in to the flesh? I'm not against those who use the illustration of two dogs living inside and whichever one you feed the most is going to win out. I understand what they're trying to say, but it's an inaccurate illustration. Dogs have the same nature. The Spirit and the flesh are two different natures. They are two different things. And the Spirit is always stronger than the flesh. Always. Always, Brother Wells. Always stronger. There is no, you've got to feed it so that it'll be stronger. It's always stronger. It is that part inside of you that when you go over to 1 John and you read about being sinless and you wonder, what is it saying? There is a part in you that is God and cannot sin. It is always stronger than the flesh. Jesus even said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Spirit never gets weak. It's always willing. It's always ready. It always wants you to decide to do the right thing. But the flesh is always weak. Always. And we just make the decision whether we're going to walk in the flesh or not. The Spirit is always willing to take over. But we have to yield ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 6, 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, it is our decision how inundated with the Holy Ghost we're going to live. The Spirit's willing. We have to decide how willing we are. We can choose to obey the lust of the flesh, or we can choose to obey the Holy Spirit. And so what I believe what we find here in the book of Acts, these followers of Jesus did not need the Holy Ghost to indwell them. They had already, that had already taken place. But they needed to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not, un- I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Remember that word baptize means to immerse or submerge. It means to cover over fully. This is why we reject pouring and sprinkling as a means of baptism. In fact, pouring baptisms, sprinkling baptisms, they are oxymorons. You cannot rightly call either a baptism because neither one submerges you. With that in mind then, when the Bible says that they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost, it means they would be covered over fully with the Holy Ghost. They would be completely inundated with the Holy Ghost. They would be immersed in the Holy Ghost. God would have full control over their life. So what does it look like to be baptized with the Holy Ghost? Well, this is where there's all kind of teachings out there. And you've got to really study the Bible to know what things are being said are true or not. Most commonly, you will hear that one needs to speak in an unknown tongue as an evidence of being full of the Holy Ghost or being baptized in the Holy Ghost. I took it upon myself to research several churches in our town that are charismatic, and they all link to the same statement of faith from a higher headquarter organization. And under what they believe, they state this, quote, the baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them utterance. End quote. There are so many practices within that movement which don't line up with Scripture that it's amazing to me that it has spread the way it has. I'm, I'm resisting going down that path tonight. I don't want to get in the weeds there and, and get into a side study. But suffice to say that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. You see, there's many gifts. There's only one Holy Spirit. So why are so many focusing on tongues when the same Spirit said there's diversity of gifts? Why would the, the initial indication that you have been baptized with the Holy Ghost is you speaking in some unknown tongue? Boy, I wish I could get into all that tonight. There's much, much more I could say right there to debunk this modern movement that we see taking place. Some will even take it beyond speaking in tongues and believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is to mean what we find at the close of the book of Mark where we would read in Mark 16, 17, and 18, And these signs shall follow them that believe in My name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Yes, there are still insane churches in Appalachia that are handling snakes. Anybody else got a problem with that? They got rattlesnakes up there. They bring them in in little brown bags. I tell you, I got scared to death one night. We were in a church and <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get sometimes out there. And this brown paper sack came in. I thought, good Lord, they're about to break out some snakes up in here. I'd already heard a couple trying to speak in tongues. And I was like, man, we... I mean, I'm getting fidgety just thinking about these things. People actually taking up snakes. I've even read articles where a guy decided he was going to drink poison to show how 
spirit filled he was. Oops. Come to find out he wasn't. <laughs> now for sure there was a time when the apostles in the first century were given these sign gifts as we call them in order to help spread the gospel. But to say that that's what it looks like to be baptized with the Holy Ghost in our day would be incorrect because the church is now established and we have the Word of God. With all that being said, we don't net... I want you to get this now, please. We don't need to let the charismatic scare us away from the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid that's what we've done a lot in our Baptist circles. It's still a biblical truth for our day. And we should earnestly desire to be so. Now, I don't believe it's some complicated thing. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the, whole, with the Spirit. And so I got to thinking about, okay, what might this look like? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So I've got this glass of water here. Let me drink a little bit out of it. Amen. For those who can see up close, is that full? Would you say that was full of the Holy Ghost? So if we pour a little bit in there, we got rid of some sin, but we still got some sin. Are we full of the Holy Ghost yet? Well, we're talking about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so as we think about this and we begin to pour more of the Holy Ghost in, we're almost there, amen? This is our home church, so I can get away with this. Now we're full. Somebody say amen. Now you're full of the Holy Ghost. Say, what does it look like? It's when there's nothing left of you. There's nothing left of you inside the cup. But it's all God. Well, I, I, it's got to be something more complicated than that. Well, you know what the Bible says? If, if you would just make melody in your heart to the Lord, singing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, if you would do these things, if you would be thankful in all things, it goes on to say in the next verse, give thanks unto Jesus Christ, you would find yourself becoming full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We want it to be this complicated thing. We want it to be something where it's got to be this super-duper manifestation of us acting like animals and barking like dogs and talking in tongues and, and all of these things that are happening out there. There's some insanity out there, amen? It's not something complicated. We've just turned it into something complicated. Now, we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. This is so important because of verse 8. We're going to look more closely at this verse in the future. But look at what it says in verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost if we are going to be effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the power of the Holy Ghost upon us. We can probably survive as a church body with the name church on the sign. We can probably get away with that without God for at least a generation. We could probably do that. But if we want to truly thrive as the church of the living God, then we must be Holy Ghost filled believers. And I'd like to highlight a principle that is largely missing in our day. This is going to be the emphasis here. Tonight, we, we don't really hear this as much as I believe we should. When it comes to our witnessing, when it comes to our outreach, let me read to you again Luke 24, 49. And behold, 
I send the promise of My Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Did you hear what the Lord said? You're going to go into all the world and you're going to preach the gospel, but before you do, there has to be this time where I need you to just tarry. Because I need you to be right. I need you to be prepared. I need you to be full of the Holy Ghost if you're going to go out there and be effective for me. Jesus wanted them to go. And many times we are just go, 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 go. Aren't we? We are a go, go, go society. Listen, we, our churches are, are moving. We've always got something on the calendar. We're, we're always doing something. But let's not miss tonight that the first requirement wasn't to go. I heard a message one time. I still like the message. I'm not rejecting the guy or the message. He said, you can't spell the gospel without go. Well, listen, you're not going to effectively spread the gospel without Terry. Jesus' first requirement wasn't to go, but Jesus' first requirement was for them to tarry. Notice again in verse 4 that Luke points out how they were told to wait for the promise of the Father. A.W. Tozer. Get all you can by him. Buy his books, look up his quotes, listen to his sermons. Some people have said J.R. Rice was the mightiest pen in the 20th century. I'd say it's A.W. Tozer. Listen to what he said. The popular notion that the first obligation of the church is to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is false. We must be spiritually ready to spread it. Our Lord said, go ye, but first He said, tarry ye. The first business of the church is not to evangelize, but to get ready to. End quote. I had to run a lot of independent Baptists right there. We must be actively fulfilling the Great Commission. I do agree. We know that. But what good is it going to do us to go out there unprepared? What if we're not baptized with the Holy Ghost? Think about what the Lord said in Matthew 23.15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We're off to a good start already. Amen. Listen to what He said. For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. He's saying you go to these great lengths to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. If it wasn't bad enough to call him hypocrites, he's, he lets them know. In other words, get this now, all they were doing was producing more of themselves. You catching that? This is why this thought tonight is so important for us. We will only produce what we are. Oh boy. We need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost because all our evangelism does is produce more of the same kind of the one who is doing the evangelism. If we are weak in the faith, we're just going to get more who are weak in the faith. If we work in the power of our flesh, we're only going to get more converts that know how to work in the power of their flesh. But if we are Spirit-filled, then we will see other Spirit-filled Christians. And listen, the Pharisees, they did many things which looked good on the outside. Even Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and verse 20. He says that our righteousness needed to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What? Yeah, you know what he was saying? They do so many things right outwardly. 
Obviously, he wasn't talking about their heart. But you understand, the Pharisees, they read and memorized the Scriptures. How many of you are memorizing the Scriptures? They, they read the, the Bible. They memorized Scriptures. They prayed. They were faithful to God's house. They tithed. They lived clean, separated lives. They were even interested in seeing people converted to their religion. But ultimately, they were ineffective for God because they were not right with God. And all they did was produce more proselytes like themselves. Listen, man, I feel, I feel it coming on. I'm trying to fight some of this. This is why we're in the mess we're in today. Somehow we got this idea that we've got to reach the world, so we've got to be like the world. Guess what? That's exactly what we got. We got the world. Listen, we're in such a mess today. Because all we've been doing is spreading the gospel, getting more of what we are. They made proselytes, but Jesus said, they're just children of hell. And I'm afraid today in churches of our stripe, we are good at just turning out Pharisees. We have people, they're active in religious service. They're outwardly living clean, separated lives. They're tithing, they're going to church, they're, they're trying to win people over. They're, they're doing all these things that look good on the outside. They're faithful to services. They have all this religious work. And it's all been without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Brother Long, help me with this. I, the name of the guy is escaping me. Ten shekels in a shirt guy. Paris Reedhead. Yeah, thank you. He was preaching and he was given the illustration in Ten Shekels in a Shirt and he said something about a missionary who came over from China or something. No, no, no. He was given the, the guy who was preaching in West Virginia and he said, I want some of what you got. He goes, why? You've done wonderfully well without the Holy Ghost. Listen to the sermon. It'll make more sense. We've done all this. Have we had the power of the Holy Ghost upon our life? You see, even as a good Baptist, we're going, we're doing, we've learned... We, we, we've learned to do everything just right, but we, have we ever tarried? Have we ever just tarried? Listen, our church is not tarrying because I can't get most of you back on Wednesday nights. That's when we pray. We're missing it. Have we ever been endued with power from on high? I've never seen what revival is. I've read about it. Never seen it. And all we're doing is we're compassing the world, adding more proselytes just like we are. We wonder why the church is so ineffective and so weak. Why it's so worldly, why it's so fleshly, why there's no power of God upon it. A.W. Tozer also said, modern religion focuses on filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. We must improve our relationship with God. We must be filled with God if we're really desirous to be effective for God. We must be ready to go. We are not told to bear witness so much as we are told to be a witness. To be who Christ was. Who He is. We are supposed to be like the one we represent. And we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. So do you need more of the Holy Ghost in your life? I know I do. 
I was convicted over this message. And I believe all of us who are serious about our walk with God tonight would admit that we need more of God. We need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. We'll see more of what that looks like in messages to come, but are we willing to pray and tarry until He overflows our lives? Let me leave you with what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Let's pray.